Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Stephanie Mitta. Stephanie Mitta is the Senior Sales Enablement Manager at Divi. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm going to do my best to explain what Divi does, but I'm going to ask for a little bit of your help on this one. So I I know that your overarching corporate mission is to become the financial nervous system to enterprises, but what does that actually mean? So we're doing something completely different. Essentially, we are doing away with the need for expense reports within a company. So we extend a line of credit to a business and then they issue credit cards. So it's kind of like a corporate card initiative. But the thing that we have kind of over the top of that is our platform, which gives accounting, financial, like controller roles, access to see all of the information that's happening within their company, like all of the spend just in real time automatically. So if you swipe your card, you will automatically get a notification on your phone from our app. And it'll tell you basically like categorize this purchase right now. And then there's no need for you to submit an expense report or get reimbursed or anything like that. So we're really streamlining that entire process and disrupting kind of the financial technology area. Obviously, this is not a a show about fintech, but having had to fill out expense reports the last 25 years and uh, really feeling like it's not taking me any less time than it did 25 years ago. I I, I love the thought of the end of expense reports. The Um, best part about it, too, is that we are completely free. We don't charge the customer anything. Super cool. Well, today we're going to ultimately talk about really having a buyer's perspective because you're really, you know, not just educating your own sellers on how to sell and position the company, but you're also on the receiving end of a lot of outbound people who are trying to sell to you. So that's really what we're going to focus on. I love getting insights onto the, onto what it's like to buy. I'll, I'll share mine too, because people do try to sell to me constantly. <laughs> and, and obviously in the role that I'm in, I perversely love critiquing and understanding what best practices and worst practices people are doing. I'm going to ask you one, just one of the two questions I usually ask just in the interest of time. So I want to get into the the buyer's perspective so much. The question is, what's your favorite sales or sales enablement book of all time and why? So it's actually one of my most recent reads. Um, it's called literally called The Sales Enablement Playbook, and it's written by Corey Bray and Hillman uh, Sorry. And one of the things that I really try and incorporate into any program that I build out is just a sense of kind of curiosity and trying to like go and think outside of the box. And one of the things that I really loved about that book was it challenged me on a lot of preconceived ideas that I have already built throughout my career. And it made me uncomfortable to think in a different kind of way about some of these ideas, but uncomfortable in a really good way. I really like to challenge myself and kind of, you know, continually press the boundaries, both like for myself and then for whatever company it is that I'm working for. It pushed a lot of boundaries. I've already started kind of like taking some of the action items in the book to implement and build out the program that I'm building there at Divi. That's been my favorite book that I've read so far within kind of the enablement space. One thing I love, they, they have a number of books now, I think probably yeah. three or four books. I think I've read them all. Two things I love about them. One is they're they're efficient, right? Is you don't have to read three, 400 pages in order to get the so what out of it. Mm-hmm. And then to your point, they, they seem to really understand what it's like to be operating. There are things that you can immediately apply into your daily life, just as you have done into your daily work. 
it's a quick and easy read, but it's not the typical kind of corporate buzzwords that you hear a lot of times. And like you said, I could go and implement those things kind of like right off the bat. Maybe we'll split the outbound side and the inbound side, like when you come inbound to people or when they try to outbound to you. Sure. And let's, let's perhaps start with the, well, what do you, where do you want to start? Do you want to start outbound or inbound? I would say probably like the inbound, like prospecting emails that I have been getting nonstop lately, (laughs) you know, from my perspective in enablement, as you said, I train people on the tools to use on all of the prospecting tips, you know, the catchy subject liners. And I think it, it puts me in a unique position because for whatever reason, I am probably one of the worst people to try and sell to because I, I know all of the tricks. I can spot a sequence a mile away or, or a drip campaign a mile away, especially in this new role. My time is, is incredibly valuable. And I, I actually do make it a point to look at each and every single prospecting email that is sent to me. And I've been getting like anywhere from like three to five a day lately with this new role, just because I'm always curious to see, you know, one, pick up on best practices that maybe I can take back or bad practices that I can take back to my own training and enablement profession. And then two, to to actually see is, is there something on the market that maybe I am missing, you know, that they can provide value to me you know, the really bad ones that I've seen are just the really generic, Hey, Stephanie, congrats on the new role. I saw that you work in enablement. You know, we work with enablement companies just like yours or blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's the very kind of boilerplate email conversation. And it's very easy for me to just peruse those emails and dismiss them kind of right off the bat, because there's nothing really in there to like warrant me to want to like learn more as an example. Like I know you have me in a sequence. I know you probably downloaded my information either off of LinkedIn or discover org or one of those things that we always teach our our reps to do and kind of like do the outbound prospecting. But I think for me, especially one of the things that really kind of cuts through the noise is someone who goes above and beyond and does that personalization outreach. One of the really good prospecting emails that I got was Someone essentially like they went on my LinkedIn page, they looked through articles, they looked through posts, they looked through my career history, and they really touched upon pain points that I have kind of in my current role, maybe things that I've seen in my last role, and really made it a personalized email. Like I could tell that they typed it all out in like Outlook or Gmail, like they didn't have me in a sequence necessarily, you know, and it was speaking to me directly instead of kind of the lofty, typical kind of persona stuff, instead of diving in a little bit deeper. Does that make sense? It it does make sense. Yeah. And I can, I mean, I can relate. It's, it's interesting that from, I guess, a behavioral psychology perspective, it should not necessarily matter that someone took the time to personalize. I'm, we're obviously huge proponents of personalization. itself. we have good data that supports it that if you personalize, you get a 2x increase in your response rate. But nonetheless, it shouldn't necessarily matter if what they are offering is something that actually provides value to you and your company. But it is interesting that I, I think psychologically humans want to feel that somebody else took the time to understand them. Part of your brain is saying, hey, this person went on my LinkedIn profile, they read my content, they thought about me, I owe them at least that amount of attention. Exactly. 
in today's like the world that we live in today, when you get like a handwritten note from like your aunt or your grandma or something, it gives you that warm kind of fuzzy feeling, that personal connection. And I think, you know, especially with the prospecting that we do right now from a technology standpoint, it's really easy for you to just kind of ignore those messages So from an outbound prospecting, it's really difficult to cut through the noise. But I also recognize that personalization probably like it's not scalable either, you know. So it's kind of meeting somewhere in the middle of determining who is going to be your best prospect, zeroing in on maybe like a handful of people to really dive deep into them as a person, as an employee, as, you know, whatever it is, and then, you know, see what kind of return you get on, on those pieces. I will say I I replied to the rep and he didn't really even mention the product that he was trying to sell me very much. It was mostly about kind of like wanting to get to know like me and have a conversation. It wasn't like, here's our product and everything that we can do. I emailed him back immediately and I told him, I I said, this is one of the best prospecting emails that I've received. And for that, you get my time. Like you can have a discovery call with me because I feel like he had earned it at that point. Were you a viable prospect or were you just giving him the meeting so that they could, you know, earn their credit? You know, I, I think I was a pretty viable prospect from that standpoint, from the product that they were trying to pitch. It was a company that I had never heard before. I've heard of competitors in their kind of like market space, but I'd never heard of them before. They were the ones that like cut through that noise. If you are in an industry where you've got some really heavy hitting big players, I think it's even more vitally important to think outside of the box and kind of be disruptive in your approach to outbound prospecting in order to get that face time. So I would argue that the big players are going to probably go about prospecting in, in the normal way that we've taught most SDRs and LDRs to kind of go about it. So as like an up and coming startup, it's, it's in your like best interest to try and think of other ways to cut through that noise. If you don't mind, I'd actually like to sort of fine tooth comb your own LinkedIn profile sure. and, and get your reaction to different ways that people could show you that they knew you. Yeah. So I'm going to start at the top and work my way down and and we could just sort of have a conversation, not only about how you would react to that, but also, you know, I'll I'll chat a little bit how I would react and and how you coach your team over there at Divi to to leverage those things. So I'm going to start at the very top, which is you have a personalized image on your LinkedIn profile with a quote Mm -hmm. and I won't read the Latin, but the English translation is I shall either find a way or make one. Mm -hmm. So I presume that is, that's like a quote near and dear to your heart. Yeah, it's actually pretty new. Um, It was presented at a company meeting uh, probably a couple of weeks ago there internally at Divi. And I I did like quite take that to heart. It's one of the things that I try to pride myself on, you know, pushing myself to do more of either like just don't give up, you know, keep going. You either find a way or you're going to like bust through the door and, and make room for either yourself or your programs or whatever it is. So if someone were to reference that in a prospecting email to you or prospecting voicemails, what have you, LinkedIn touches, how would you feel? Like, would you feel that that was inbounds or out of bounds for, for how they should engage you? I would probably feel that that's inbounds. I put it up there kind of on my LinkedIn to say something about myself. So I would absolutely say that that's kind of inbound. And if they refer to it in 
kind of the right way, that would catch my attention 100%. I always wonder about personalization that is business related as opposed to human related or not that businesses can't have a human side of them, but like personal personalization, if I can use the word twice versus business personalization. To me, that one is a bit more of a personal personalization, right? It's, it's about you and not as much about what you do and the problems that you're wrestling with. Yeah. One of my other companies, we drove our sales teams to look for what we called champions within a company. So someone who is both like really loyal to the company and someone who is looking to kind of drive their own career. If you're able to find a champion who's able to champion your cause as a vendor internally and then champion their own kind of professional growth externally, you're kind of a win-win on that aspect because that person, that persona will go above and beyond. So I would say that's definitely something to, to probably be on the lookout for too while you're prospecting is look for almost like a, a champion persona who's looking to move themselves and their company to the next level as a whole. All right. I can't, I can't resist going a little deeper on that one before getting yeah. back through your LinkedIn profile because it sure. almost sounds easier said than done. How, how do you know someone's going to be a champion without actually getting the time to engage them? What can you glean a priori to, to know that that person might fit that role? I know for myself, like I am trying to put more content kind of out on LinkedIn, be a bit more vocal to just the enablement community as a whole and really kind of build that up. So I'd say if you're looking for a champion within a company, you're going to look for someone who is consistently kind of taking new higher roles. So someone who is not necessarily jumping around companies, but who's actively been promoted, you know, kind of through one company or multiple companies throughout their career. And I would say somebody who's active in, you know, LinkedIn groups or on just the LinkedIn community as a whole, posting content or engaging with other people's content. Someone who isn't necessarily just resharing like their own company content, but someone who is kind of curating their own. Things like that, I would say, are probably good indicators that someone is looking to be a champion either for themselves or for their company and their professional career too. So yeah, then we get into the into the company related stuff. So if somebody just references you, and you even mentioned it in your example of a bad engagement where they say, "Hey Stephanie, congrats on your new role there at Divi. I saw you are the insert, you know, yeah, <laughs> insert tag senior sales enablement manager at insert company." So that sort of thing, it sounds like smacks of disingenuousness or inauthenticity. We've all seen it. That type of tactic does work for like some prospects and some leads for me personally, or for, I would say probably anyone in the enablement space or operation space that helps implement these kinds of tools or trains these types of tools. It's much harder. Like that barrier to entry is, is definitely thicker because we are a little bit more keen to prospecting tips or, you know, whatever it might be. So getting through is, is definitely going to be harder, but it's no, these prospecting techniques do work. Otherwise people wouldn't keep doing them. You know what I mean? Like it, it definitely does work on some people, but I would say that that goes to understanding your audience. Who is the, the persona or the market that you're going after? I would say if it's someone who implements the type of tool that you're trying to sell them, you're going to have to be super like zeroed in on what their pain points are, what they want to hear about from an enablement standpoint. It just, I, I can see right through it. <laughs> 
Yeah. How, how would people figure out what are the things that you're focused on, right? Because your, your current LinkedIn profile, I mean, you joined just, uh, just a few months ago, about a quarter yeah. ago, right? You have not yet fleshed that out with things you're, you're working on and, and that sort of thing. How would people go about finding out what are the key initiatives either for, for Divi as an organization or for you personally in your, in, as you build out the new role? One of the things that I like to promote whenever I, you know, am at a new company or doing some kind of training is look internally, whoever your target persona is, you're typically going to have someone like that at your company, sit down, like offer to buy them a coffee or lunch or something, sit down with them and pick their brain on what are some of the initiatives that you are working on now that you are seeing in the future that you've worked on in the past, in past lives, at past companies? You know, what are some of the pain points that you run into? I'm a really big proponent in kind of scraping that data from people that you know and your own like internal company are great people to like gather that information from. So I know like at my current company, some of the target personas that we look into are like controllers or CFOs, people that manage expense reports, you know, AR, AP kind of people. And that's one of the things that I want to incorporate into our trainings is actually bringing people in from our own company, like internally to talk about their past experiences. What is going to cut through that noise for you specifically? I think that's a great way. Cause like you said, a lot of people don't update their LinkedIn profiles. They're probably not going to put their top priorities right now, like on their LinkedIn profile. So I looking internally to the people that you have access to face to face is probably huge. Like that amount of knowledge is, is so, so great. As you were saying that, by the way, and I agree wholeheartedly with you there, I was also realizing I missed a section, which is our mutual connections. Yeah. You and I, in fact, have 53 mutual connections. Look at us. <laughs> I'm looking at the first couple of names and, you know, if I were to put in a prospecting email, hey, Stephanie, uh, notice that we're both connected to, I'm going to pick the first two people who are showing up on the little LinkedIn thing that says Natalie, Greg, and Joshua Germain. Is that something that you find also cliche or because that does take a little bit of extra effort? You know, I think it's a little bit risky because I would say a lot of the people that I have on my LinkedIn profile, I, I probably haven't met in person. I like to kind of reach out and network with other enablement folks, but I might not have ever actually interacted with them in person. So I would say if you're going to make that connection between, hey, we're connected with, you know, this person similarly try and maybe dig a little bit deeper to find out, did they work at the same company? Because if they did, then it's very likely that they interacted with each other. You know, I think we also like have Hillary Headley is, is one of our like overlapping connections. You could see if you kind of compared our profiles that her and I overlapped at Alteryx together at the same time. So you can kind of infer those connections, but it's a little bit riskier to just kind of assume that people know who it is that you're talking about because maybe they've connected with you from, it could be any number of reasons, but they might not know that person directly. Yeah. Well, let, I mean, let's take Hillary, by the way, because yeah. I, I agree. She's like a more likely kind of person as famous in our space <laughs> uh, for, for what she does. So if I were to say, hey, uh, Stephanie, great to connect with you. We actually had a mutual connection. Hillary speak at Rainmaker a few years ago. And this is actually, this is all true. Uh, she was my favorite presentation uh, when I was at our sales law for Rainmaker conference. And she had this incredible this sales ops matrix slide that she put up, you know, whatever, right? So yeah. just a little bit of background stuff. 
I guess it would have been a fortuitous alignment, but with that additional detail on like what it was about that person and not just a random person, I would presume that would hit home a little harder. Yeah. I think making that connection with, with the person and then with, you know, some kind of like event, I think that definitely makes that connection. It, it personalizes it quite a bit more. It, it humanizes you. I'm not just another, you know, cog in your sequence, kind of a, an idea. You could still have me kind of like in a drip campaign, but it's, it's more personalized from that level. That would definitely kind of like cut through the noise for me. I would assume that there are very likely common problems, challenges, whatever word you want to use that a person who's, who's new in a role are going to encounter. So I would bet that of those, whatever, three to five prospecting emails that you're getting per day, and I'm sure just as many, if not more phone calls, a lot of those are perhaps in that whole like show pad, seismic, lessonly, guru, that space. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. And I, I would say to like, to that point, the really bad ones that I've gotten have like absolutely nothing to do with like my role or my space whatsoever. I guess if it were from the, at least the ones that are in what is defined currently as the enablement space, yeah, I would assume that they are likely to hit home with a particular use case, right? So for example, I'm thinking of boilerplate language, right? Most uh, sales enablement leaders that we speak with are struggling with ensuring that the best practices of their top reps are being followed by others within the organization, right? Or mm-hmm. struggling with ensuring that the hard work that they've spent developing best practice playbooks are being followed, blah, 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 right? Like Mm -hmm. that's a, it's generic, it's boilerplate, but it it speaks directly to your job and and the challenges. Where does that fit in the spectrum of instant delete versus potentially (laughs) reply? You know, those definitely, like I said earlier, I actually make it a point to read through most like vendor prospecting emails, especially if they are kind of in my space or they, they help with a pain point. This is the difficult thing about prospecting is it all depends on, you know, what my priorities are at that given moment. It's really hard to zero in on those because while they might be in my mind to deal with at some point, I might have competing priorities to, to work on, you know, before then. And I'm, I try to be one of those, the nice people to respond to them and say, this isn't a priority for me right now, you know, check back with me in three to six months. Most people actually don't do that but I like to try and like give that feedback um, so they can fill out their CRM and put me in a lead drip campaign or whatever it might be. And, you know, do a follow-up task for me later on. If they touch on certain pain points, there's a chance that one of those pieces is going to be, you know, top of my priority list right now. Customer references are huge for me, especially just to know that, you know, and I I think we see this a lot of times in the buyer space, case studies, you know, give me an example of a company like mine who is doing similar things to me. That definitely speaks volumes, as well as if you're able to get any kind of references from existing customers, just word of mouth is like, that's huge in and of itself too case studies and customer references though, is that later stage for you or would you want to be approached with case studies and, or, I mean, it's expensive to do a customer reference, but uh, testimonials, I guess would be the, the, the less expensive way to do that from a sales and marketing perspective. Do you want to see that early at the top of the funnel? 
I actually like to see that kind of stuff early at the top of the funnel, even if it's just a quick quote from a customer with a, a name or a tag or something to go along with it. That helps me kind of quantify a little bit more like, oh, this is a company that I know is doing really great things. They use this product. Like that does speak volumes to me as kind of like a buyer. The next section that people sometimes reference is education. In particular, if they went to the same school or if they know someone who went to the same school, <laughs> does the same school thing matter to you? And, and I know LinkedIn, by the way, does some research on this and has found that people are much more likely to respond to in-mails, for example, when they share an educational background. But if they reference that, does that seem genuine to you? It can definitely be genuine. Um, for me personally, school doesn't really mean a whole lot. I went to Northern Arizona University. I wasn't involved in clubs or activities or anything like that, which I think if people are involved, like if they're in a fraternity or if they're involved in, in clubs or sports or whatever, I think that's probably a much better way to kind of like work your way in or bring that up in a prospecting email. For me in particular, I was very much kind of like a homebody. I wasn't involved in clubs or sports or anything like that. So I went to my classes and kind of went back to my dorm room. So for me personally, the school outreach, it doesn't really do much of anything for me other than, you know, hey, Lumberjack Pride. And I'll be like, woo. And that's about it. <laughs> I want to switch over to the, you know, the inbound side. And, and I think a good segue to that is I find that things that I'll respond to, I almost want to say that there's less to do with the personalization. And it's more that I have an immediate need. Like I'm working on a project. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that the thing comes into me just at the time I'm looking. So a good example of this is, you know, we were working on, on account scoring a little while back. And in the midst of that project, the company Crunchbase came to me mm -hmm. and they have great data on venture capital funding and other things like that. And in that case, it was like the perfect time. And if Crunchbase yeah. had approached me any other time, I probably would have just ignored it and deleted it. Is it often that people actually come to you with an email that they're trying to bring you an idea and you're actually receptive to it? Or is it more that you are already primed because you're working on a project? You know, I think it happens in, in both kind of scenarios. So for example, I've been evaluating learning management systems most recently to really start kind of flushing out my onboarding program there, building it. So I was on the market for a learning management system. I wanted to do my due diligence as best as I could. So the vendors that reached out to me that were in kind of the LMS space or even in the, the content management space, I was much more open to taking a conversation with them because I knew that I was going to be working on this project to kind of like backwards engineer that. Like, I don't know that there's an easy way to really know what project is somebody working on right at this particular moment that's really hard to kind of reverse engineer that and, and get in the mindset from that perspective. But it is true. Like if I'm primed for working on a particular project or initiative, I'm, I'm going to be much more receptive to taking a call or a demo and doing some discovery with a vendor. And I would assume in that LMS evaluation and that learning management system evaluation, you also went inbound to certain partners, certain vendors. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, that I did that I think probably a lot of people tend to do as well is I reached out to fellow enablement folks at different companies and I asked them, what do you use? What do you like love? What do you hate? What have you used in past lives? So I relied quite a bit on the people in my industry to help 
me filter through and understand what it might be that I should focus on or, or a particular product or vendor that maybe I should give a little bit more time to. I'm right on with that. I do reach out to the network to figure out, you know, what people have used. I'm also a huge fan of modern sales pros. It's a great resource for sales ops enablement strategy people to trade best practices and and compare vendors and things like that and really, really deep, great content. So that, you know, for listeners, if you want to get on Modern Sales Pros, you can find them. It's a really classic old school Google group, but it's moderated extremely well that they will kick people off if anyone crosses <laughs> crosses <laughs> anyone. The other piece I was wondering is, are there other resources besides the people that you reach out to? For example, do you, do you look on G2 Crowd or other B2B software evaluation sites out there? So this was the first role that I've actually been able to have a kind of controlling stake in determining what product we should move forward to. So I was all about learning everything that I could going on G2 crowd, going on any and all like forums from an enablement standpoint perspective. I think I probably burned myself out a little bit from an analysis paralysis perspective. I was literally taking demos with as many vendors as I could, and they all just started kind of mushing together. I definitely did my best to do my due diligence to not just take you know the vendor at their word, but I wanted to make sure that I, I dug into it and made sure that it would be the right fit for my company based on feedback from existing customers, um, even from like a case study perspective, viewing their website. Everything that I could get my hands on, I looked up. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, by the way, I did my own LMS evaluation at a prior company and I, I felt the same way. I took all the demos and it all did begin to mush together. It's exhausting. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And in, in the end, the core features and functionality of almost all the companies will meet your yep. needs, right? It's the classic Clayton Christensen innovator's dilemma. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it, it does come down to picking the, you know, in this case, the LMS vendor that you really think has your back, right? Yeah. That you're going to make this purchase it's risky to do that, not just in the purchase itself, but all the people that you have to sell mm-hmm. to approve the purchase as well, usually on up to the CFO and sometimes the CEO. You're putting yourself out there by doing that. I think that's another good point to mention about prospecting is understanding where your prospect is and understanding the pressure and the internal battles that they themselves have to go through in order to like make a case for purchasing the software. A lot of times they, you know, just like myself, like I was the influencer, but I wasn't the ultimate decision maker. I had to sell it up through the ranks and make my business case for that. So understanding, you know, from especially from a cadence perspective or a sequence perspective, if you're following up with them every day on your like sequence, they're going to get annoyed with you pretty quickly because they've got other things that are happening. They know that this is going to be a long kind of process. So understanding even that pain alone of the internal selling that your person has to do is a big thing for mentioning that kind of in your prospecting outbound too. Yeah, I love that. It ties back to my own LMS experience, which was we had shortlisted down to two vendors after going through the whole dog and pony show. And our key decision maker just wanted the pitch yep. from each of them. And I coached both because I was the champion. I was a coach. And I had some degree of authority in the deal as well, but the CFO had to sign it. And I coached them both to say, have a conversation. Here's, you know, here are those individuals, key issues. Here's how they like to communicate. And one salesperson had that dialogue 
and the other person ran through their standard the demo deck, right? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And the, the, the CFO <laughs> was slacking me the whole time. Please make this stop. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a very similar experience. I, I shielded our decision maker for quite some time. And, you know, there were, there were a couple of vendors that did the exact same thing, just ran through the demo deck. And I was like, no, you're killing me right now. You were killing me. Stephanie, it was great having you on the show. If people do want to find you and get in touch with you, I mean, we dug through your LinkedIn. So what, what's the best way for people to, to find you? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn, I'm pretty much always on there uh, frequently. So reach out to me, even if it's just having a conversation. Um, I've been trying to post a lot of content on there around sharing best practices and ideas around uh, enablement and onboarding. So any questions at all, or if you just want to have a chat, definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm available. I'm a pretty open book. So would love to hear from anybody. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.